buses with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lips. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. Ooh, that crazy bug was going around this week. Congress people hating America and TiVo and nuclear war and... Hamburgers, lots of hamburgers. Hamburgers. I'm gonna take your hamburgers oh, away. Oh, don't take my hamburgers. <laughs> oh, the return of the hamburger. <laughs> Welcome back, guys. Uh, Barstool Politics. I am your host, Nick McGuire, joined as always by Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College. Hi, guys. Hey, Nick. Hey. Howdy. Hello. Uh, before we get started, all that fun stuff that you guys love <clears throat> at the beginning, uh, if you have comments, uh, questions, beer suggestions, things you want us to talk about, um, follow us on Twitter at Barstool Paul, P-O-L, Facebook at Barstool Politics, the podcast, actually. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and now on Spotify as wow. well. We finally made it. We're like big kids, apparently. Because they changed their process, and I did it in 20 minutes now, and I just hadn't done it. Uh, thank you, uh, Jaden, I believe, for sending the, the question in about that. That uh, made me get off my ass and do that. Um, so thanks for that. <laughs> um, where else? Was, oh, beer suggestions. Uh, not beer suggestions. Uh, beers that we try, you can find on Untapped on iOS or Android. Just search for Barstool Politics, and you can see all the beers that we try and all of the uh, reviews that we put on there. Um, and then we are, if you guys are new to the podcast or have been listening intently for weeks and weeks and weeks, uh, we're partnered with Predict It, uh, which is a real money political prediction market, uh, pretty much a stock market uh, for politics where you can buy and sell shares in future uh, political events. Uh, we use it to kind of look at events in the news, uh, look at the market, see where people are putting their money, um, and see how we can profit off of that because it's so much fun to do that. Um, what's great for our listeners, uh, if you open up a $20, a $20 account, uh, predict it will match that $20. Uh, so if you open up a $20 account, I already said that. Uh, wow. We're taping this a little late, and apparently an hour makes a huge difference in my ability to talk. Uh, anyways, just use our uh, promo link, predictit.org slash promo slash barstoolpaul20, uh, and get your free money. So you get $40 to use on Predictit. It's a good deal, Nick. Definitely a good deal. Um, so, I mean... Uh, C CPAC, it's uh, it's not good. It was entertaining. <laughs> it though. was entertaining as hell, and we're gonna go through a lot of it. That's, so strap in. That's right. So President Donald Trump had a rough last week. We talked a little bit about it. Uh, so it wasn't entirely surprising that he would use his address at the Conservative Political Action Conference, an annual gathering of conservative politicians, celebrities, and pundits, uh, to blow off a little steam. 
The speech was a record-setting two hours and two minutes. Man's got stamina. That is, it really is. That's, that's a, crazy. Whatever mm-hmm. he said, like giving a speech for two hours, that's something. Filet of fish or like <laughs> that's right. nuclear fuel rods. Oh, so and it was Trump fully unleashed, uncensored, unscripted, and most certainly unhinged. Uh, Nick, this one is best appreciated if we hear a little directly from the stable genius. So let's hear a little montage of Trump at CPAC. Oh, yes. Here we go. You know I'm totally off script right now. The Green New Deal, right? Darling, is the wind blowing today? I'd like to watch television, darling. (laughs) Russia, please, if you can, get us Hillary Clinton's emails. Please, Russia, please. He asked Russia to go get the emails. The Attorney General says, I'm going to recuse myself. And I said, (laughs) why the hell didn't he tell me that before I put him in? Russia, 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 Russia is waiting for the Mueller report. He's bad. He's a bad, bad, he's a bad, bad guy. How do you get to Europe? We haven't figured that one out yet. We don't use airplanes. And I'm in the White House and I was lonely. I said, let's go to Iraq. I should have saved the Pocahontas thing for another year. Instead, we believe in free speech. Today, I'm proud to announce that I will be very soon signing an executive order requiring colleges and universities to support free speech if they want federal research power. Who does this? We have people in Congress right now. We have people in Congress that hate our country. Mothers who love their daughters give them massive amounts of birth control pills because they know their daughters are going to be raped on the way up to our southern border. They're trying to take you out with bullshit, okay? That's the president. USA. USA. That's the perfect ending, the USA chat. I mean, it was, and that's only a fraction of what was in there. We could hop around. I mean, there's just so much. Phil, the, 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 what, what, what touches you about all of this? <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this was bizarre. <sighs> it is bizarre. But I mean, it's. <laughs> I don't even know really where to start. <laughs> I mean, it is it is so insane, but it's also like perfectly representative of of him in so so yeah. many ways. I mean, this was you know, it, it's he says crazy stuff all the time it's just usually not packed so closely together (laughs) for such a long time we normally get like an hour or two in between right (laughs) i mean he hit on so the tivo stuff was great but he returned to his inaugural crowd he talked about that i mean he was hitting on the fed fed chair he attacked the fed chair it was it was all over the place the national emergency all of the kind of his favorite themes uh greatest hits exactly mm-hmm. right uh you know the one thing that struck me so we can dive into some of the specifics but just the, the speech in and of itself uh, uh gerson uh former speechwriter for bush talked about that it just the speech lacked dignity and he was really upset about it right <laughs> oh you know? my god and it, it, it's absolutely true there was you know i think two things it, there was there was an absence of any kind of dignity and restraint you know he doesn't pull punches it punches anymore i mean openly says there are people in congress that hate our country and that's that's different i mean it used to be that you didn't like the other side maybe you disagreed with their philosophy but you didn't suggest that they hated their country uh, and you know that's that's a whole nother level so there's he's uninhibited <clears throat> unhindered by just sort of saying these things that they're the other side is is evil 
Um, that, that's extraordinary to hear him talk that way. It is. I mean, he's he's remarkably different than anybody who's ever yes. been in this position before, right? And that's what's that's partly what's so shocking about it. So, I'm I'm kind of torn on the point that you're talking about of, of this idea that he lacks dignity, um, because I mean, it's it's true, right? I, I like the idea of a president who can be composed and sort of restrained about what they say. But there's also something a little bit weird about Washington culture and American mm-hmm. culture in which we we have this like veneer of dignity. Right. But meanwhile, we'll, you know, we'll drone people or overthrow, you know, countries or like whatever. But as long as you like are polished and and, like behave properly, we're okay with it. And in some ways, Trump tears that away. Right. Right. (laughs) Which is, you know, on on one hand, it's disconcerting and it, and it doesn't instill a whole lot of confidence in his decision making. Right. If this is how he's doing stuff, how does he respond or what's the image he's sending to North Korea or whatever? But in another and another on the other hand, it's it's kind of nice to get past this. Like, you know, we've had a long line of people who who pretend to be dignified and while behind the scenes, they're, you know, doing incredibly undignified things. Sure. So I, that's where I'm I'm. I, I still would choose to have the dignified aspect <laughs> of it, but it's a it's a strange critique at the same time. He's fully transparent in that way, where you see him for what he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no hiding. Uh, yeah, and maybe that's maybe that's what's troubling about it. But it was oh yeah, troubling. It's, oh, I mean, it's hilarious yeah. for one thing. Um, I I, I kind of tend to agree with Phil. I think that's what realistically won him the election, and he wasn't. Yeah. He he wasn't his predecessor. Seriously, he was the the polar opposite of of Obama, which. I think endeared him to a lot of people and realistically based off of the crowd's reaction it sounds like there's still a lot of support for that kind of perspective and and way of quote-unquote governing yeah whether you agree with that or not the republican party the conservative movement is fully 100 percent behind him and and we'll see what happens if there are major legal developments but at this moment you know the the base loves him I mean that that crowd was not just polite. I mean they were they were enamored with USA him. man. No, yeah, that's right. USA for I two mean, hours. <laughs> but that's about as core a group of a base as you can get, right? Yeah. I mean it's not a it's not a cross section of it's not even a cross section of the Republican Party, right? And so I, I don't I'm um, certainly his his base is very much in love with him, but I, I don't know how if we can how far we can sort of extrapolate that out. I, so the thing that concerns me the most about this, I mean, there's lots of things about this speech that concern me, right? There's questions about the, the mental state of someone who gets up there and says these things. But as the president of the United States, the part that concerns me the most, again, there's a lot of things I could pick from. But it's the, the sort of complete detachment from facts, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like, or, or it's the, the lack of, he's just not, he, he's, he's either ill-informed or he's not concerned with facts, yeah. right? So when you say something about, I hope the wind is blowing because I want to watch TV, it reveals like just a lack of understanding about <laughs> yes. the basic science about how wind power works. Yes. When you make a statement that, that mothers are giving like handfuls of birth control pills to their, to their daughters, it reveals a lack of understanding about the basic science of how birth control pills <laughs> right. work, right? So uh, though, that sort of thing, it, the fact that he seems to have that disconnect from the facts is concerning. It's even more concerning to me that people eat that up, right? Mm-hmm. That people in the audience aren't like, uh, what, what, what the hell is he talking about? Instead, they, you know, roar their approval and chant USA in response to it. So it's like almost this embrace of, 
Well, it's we don't really. I mean, I think we don't. You know, as a society, it feels like we. It's a it's a generalization, but it seems like we we are not all that concerned with the facts. Sure, post truth, yeah. Well, I, yeah, yes and no. I, I guess. I, I mean, that's implying that he's that a president is always going to impart knowledge, uh, in, especially in these situations. And realistically, he's never been that person. And I think none of these kind of pseudo-political kind of uh, within and without the um, the the um, Washington um, uh, society is it's these are rallies at this point and realistically every time a president goes out and does these things it's the same song and dance so I don't really have a problem with him going off script and necessarily sounding I'm, I'm not saying that it's comforting in any way but I don't really think he cares about comforting people it's he wants to appeal to a certain aspect of society um, and he knows what's going to garner support and beyond that if if you govern outside of those things if, if within your sphere of influence your primary sphere of influence you're doing your job and outside of that you're somewhat different I don't necessarily see that as a complete, completely detrimental thing. If that makes any sense whatsoever. No, it does. And I guess I wouldn't mind it. It's it's entertaining, as you noted. I mean, it's it's entertaining. It can be funny. If it wasn't so dangerous to the core elements of democracy, I might be more okay with it. So if it was just about policy, but for instance, you know, when he says that there are members of Congress that hate America, that that's really dangerous. When he goes after the Fed chair, that's dangerous. His attorney general. Uh, you know, all of those, like the Mueller investigation, it, that's the stuff where you're like, you know, those are attacking institutions, not necessarily policy. Uh, yeah, but I, I mean, like in most of those clips, he just sounded like he's he was a guy making a bad joke. It's not yeah. necessarily there's a lot of depth to his attacks, quote unquote, on these things. That's a good, really good point, especially uh, what was it? The whole thing about the Russian email hack or so we, we played right. that. And he said, I was joking. I didn't mean it. But then the next day he gave an interview with NBC where they kind of pushed him on that. And he said, no, no, no. Like, absolutely. I want if Russia can do that, they should do it. <laughs> so it's like he's got it both ways. Yeah. He'll say, oh, I was joking. But then at the same time, he's not joking. Sure. Uh, and so he'll, you know, his attack on the Fed chair. Uh, so he was going after, you know, the Fed chair for raising interest rates. That's a big deal. That institution is supposed to be separate and immune from presidential pressure. And sure. he, he doesn't respect those norms, again, to go back to this common theme. Mm -hmm. So if he was just talking about policy issues, I might not be as troubled as the, the broader democratic attacks. I think some of his points, though, are based around norms that people, especially within his base, and I think a, a broader yeah. spectrum of, of conservative society don't agree with yeah. anymore. And you can talk about it's, you know, he's saying that there are members of Congress that hate America. I think there's a significant portion of the population that thinks there are members of Congress who don't understand the ideals or, or the, the, um, the, the history and, and the 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 makeup of what made America great, I guess, to to begin with, and there's sure. there's a fun. He's not good at speaking or speaking yeah. the the truth of that, but I think the underlying thing is that there are people who say he's not necessarily wrong. Like I don't agree with these people, and they don't seem to at all line up to any values that we've held previously up to this point. 
that's different from hating but, America, though, right? That's, that's yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Good, well, it, and it, there's a difference between like you could you could say that you could have an intelligent debate or a discussion about how you know a party might be. You could critique the Democratic Party as they've lost touch with uh, again the whatever ideals you think were you know the founding principles of the of the country and that made the country great right you could have a discussion or a debate about that about values about what is good for the country that's not what he's doing right he's just lashing out and attacking anyone and every everyone but he's in a saying... funny way <laughs> <laughs> so he's not you know you could you can have an opinion like to see a president go out and try to fire up the base to come around to support his immigration policy is one thing but when you're throwing just totally baseless stuff out there, it's, I was going to say baseless facts. They're not facts. He's just making shit up, right? Oh, there's yes. plenty of stuff he made up. <laughs> yes. So, that but that's different from, you know, uh, having a, a discussion or, a, or, you know, even critiquing the other side, right? It's just... And, and that's yeah. where you were talking about, like, policy. You, you, you worry more about the institutions than the policy aspect. But I, I think they're they're intertwined, right? If you have someone who is in the office who is not, in fact, actually educated or informed about policy or is throwing this stuff out, that undermines faith in the institutions of government. That undermines the belief that you know we have you know capable leaders in in power to do this. So I, I think they're 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 I think they're intertwined. I think that that yeah. sort of uh, you know the the way that he approaches things or the the speeches has a detrimental effect in the long run. Well, the other thing I would say he's good at this too, mm -hmm. right? There For are sure. things that I know, right? A fact that I know that he will say the exact opposite, and I find myself saying, "Am I am I wrong on that?" You know, because he he is so certain in how he says it. He, he was talking about he was talking about the national emergency and the border crisis. He was talking about asylum seekers and refugees who come and then they're going to get their day in court. And I think he threw out the figure and he said, you know, they get their day in court and 3% of them show up. And I thought, that's, that's not right, you know. And the reality is it's like in the mid-70s. Uh, that come back. So most people do come back for their, for their day in court. And he's like, 3%. But if you hear that... You're, it's compelling, and you're mm. like, "Oh, this is terrible." Catch and release. We got to get rid of that. So, I think you're right, Phil. And in some ways, the the facts and the policy they do matter for the broader institutions as well. He, like, you know, we he is the Facebook president, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the, this is the way <laughs> Facebook works. People just you throw a fact up there, and then before you know it, it's been shared 12 million times, yeah. and it, even though it's completely made up, or you know, a quote that's attributed to Abraham Lincoln that's you know that says, "I, you know, whatever Uber is yeah. better than Lyft." Abraham Lincoln and suddenly and people believe that right um, but that's I mean that's Donald Trump is sort of the manifestation of that right he's like a walking uh, Facebook post right yeah well I mean that means we brought it on ourselves at this point well, sure. I, I oh, mean yeah. and that's the pro and uh, again outside of governing I, I don't give a shit what there should not these situations should should not exist or, or at least the quantity of these situations should not exist I don't need to hear from the president every waking moment of my day i don't he shouldn't necessarily need to go to events constantly do your fucking job mm -hmm. and then so that doesn't give us the impetus to constantly and voraciously eat up everything that you say because that's all we want to do oh, we yeah. just want to pick shit apart and we can't i mean post trump it's going to be hard to go back to that slow life not every president was this way not every president was i don't know what Twitter you're talking about and giving speeches all the time and engaging i mean so press doesn't uh, trump doesn't do press conferences like that but he is very engaging in terms of he's he's available and you know what he's thinking
When you say not every president has been like this, you mean not any president. <laughs> that's the right. That's right. You're right. Any, it's not to say. Don't make it sound like right. this is like half and half, right? This is unprecedented. <laughs> that's right. There was, Jimmy Carter wasn't doing this. You know, no, he was thinking no, about his peanut right. farm. Like nobody, George W. Bush. No, like, this is not. This is different. This is a different thing. But it's a different I, approach to politics yeah. and how to play the game. That raises it, the question, though. I, I'm sorry, Phil. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's a different approach, but it's it's proving to be an effective mm-hmm. approach, even though I think it's really damaging. But right. it, it works, and that's the problem, is that if it works, other people are going to do it. Exactly. Does is does this set the precedent for the future, then? Or, I, I mean, not necessarily to this extent, but is this how it's always going to be now? I wonder about I don't this. have the wherewithal to go through this. So Obama tweeted, but nobody paid any attention to his tweets. No. His tweets were the boring like policy stuff that felt like it was coming from the administration as a whole. But you do wonder whether the next president, Democrat or Trump, right, are they going to feel compelled to engage? Are we going to be longing for this constant feedback? I hope not. Oh, it's God. it's not helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's I even think about this podcast. I would like to not have like just just constant like breaking crazy news because we could step back and there are some real interesting topics that we could have a you know a 45 minute conversation about you know i mean it's just different but the pace of things is so never ending you you don't like speed round bill i do love speed round so you know so okay one other (laughs) one thing that he mentioned was the and i think nick you you commented before we taped about this free speech on campus Mm -hmm. so he talked he said i will be very soon signing an executive order requiring colleges and universities to support free speech if they want federal dollars. So, uh, so Nick, why don't you start us off? To, kind of reaction to that, and then maybe Phil and I, the academics, can weigh in on free speech on oh our boy. campuses. Great. That's <laughs> wonderful. Um, I, I, in theory, I, I don't necessarily disagree with the idea. I think there has been, and I, you know, I'm, I'm going to do a preemptive fuck off yeah. to everybody before I say this. <laughs> Not you guys specifically, but all of you other yeah. people listening out there. I personally think there has been a a fairly substantial slide to the left on most major college campuses and more significantly so over the past two to four years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the number of right-leaning or, or conservative speakers or uh, just individuals who want to give a, a, a talk on campus or something like that um, they tend to get shut down at a much higher rate than people coming from a different perspective. I think that's a problem. Um, if there is substance to the executive order, I'll take a look at it mm-hmm. and and maybe even support it. If it's just, we need to have free speech or you're not going to get money, mm-hmm. sign DJT, <laughs> like I, I, that's not going to be good enough. Less excited about that. So the, I, I think this is... It, it, it could be a, a significant thing. If it's coming out of this administration, I'm not holding out a tremendous amount of hope mm-hmm. for it. Billy? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think... Um, you know, if if there's actually evidence that, that speech is being squashed on college campuses... I have across, the stats. You know, in a broader sense. <laughs> do I? I have the say? stats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Then, uh, then yo, know, it should be looked at. But I, my understanding is that most of the the research shows that it's it's not actually um, as as bad as it's portrayed. Um, if if it's a problem at all, I, my thing with the with this is that I it, it seems meaningless, right? That I, I don't know what he 
just in the sense of what does he mean, right? If you don't embrace free speech, I won't give you money. And I, I don't know like how, what, what does that, what would that even look like? How do you, how do you measure if a college is embracing free speech or not? Because he doesn't mean the thing. He doesn't mean free speech. He means conservative speech. Right. Right. I mean, that, I think that's if he was just saying like, I want an open place for real ideas to blossom. You know, that's great. And I, I think college campuses do in general a good job of that. There are a handful of cases where an ext- you know a right winger comes in and, and you know students protest, and I don't agree with that. I mean, pro- they stop them from speaking. I don't think that's productive. Mm-hmm. But you know, he's arguing he wants more conservative speech on campus so that, that strikes me as something different right uh college campuses certainly are going to t- tilt left that's just what happens you know the military tilts right you know I, we're going to talk about fox lose news later we're not talking about a fairness doctrine where there has to be an opposite of the fox news i mean college campuses are a place where ideas bud and develop and they should be left to do what they want to do i yeah i i I think, I think the only important... way they can do this is screw it up. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's an important distinction to be made as well, which is that colleges get associated with the left because young people tend yeah. to be more left, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that the colleges themselves are pushing a left viewpoint, right? right? Yeah. So the population on the campus, I know that you're about to disagree. Now, I would I, I... wholeheartedly disagree, but please continue. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, so the, again, there's, there are lots of studies that have shown that beyond the anecdotes, there's not actually that much of a left. There's not, there's not that the college, colleges are actually quite balanced. Um, I know from working on colleges that they're paranoid about being perceived as unbalanced. And so they go out of their way to try to make sure that they're representing all different viewpoints. But regardless of that, that doesn't necessarily, you know, when you take a bunch of 18 to 22 year olds and you put them on a campus and give them the right to say what they want, um, it's likely that you're going to get a lot of strong left voices. I I went to college at Texas A&M, which is a very conservative and college and they're overwhelmingly the voices on campus were mm-hmm. from the right you know there are it's this it just depends on the the place right and that but that's what free speech is right free speech isn't necessarily equal representation of the views it's the ability to express your views yes yeah i will say yeah so before coming into our central i taught at the university of arkansas little rock and it was a similar dynamic where it was a much much more conservative campus students were conservative even the political science faculty was more conservative that still didn't impact the classroom. I think the classroom was the classroom. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So it's it's an interesting thing. Nick, you were gonna you were gonna go. No, no? I just I just disagree. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't think there's any way that I, the last thing you wouldn't want a Democratic president dictating this. I, I don't want a Republican president dictating to college to public institutions. I think it's just it's very very dangerous. Um, but what's your opinion on TiVo? TiVo. <laughs> People still do use TiVo. Apparently, people still use TiVo, and it, it's, it's the, the only invention since right? not since the TV. It's greater than the. It's than better. The TV is useless without it. That is somewhat telling that the president again. He's he's an older gentleman. Have you seen this? TiVo have you heard about this? Is amazing, right? Mm-hmm. This is um, what was what was the context? Did you see that part of the speech? What was the context? How did he end up on TiVo? Oh God! Now we kind of try and go into context. To his critique of like people critique him for watching TV all the time. Was this his response? I TiVo stuff. Phil, you're asking for a linear understanding of Trump's speech that's all over the place. He's jumping back and forth. Uh, um, yeah, I, I don't remember. So <laughs> He just had so many good things. It was... It really was something. It, it was, was uh, unbelievable. It, I mean, it, to, to, maybe to, to wrap up, I mean, the fact that he... Like, 
he talked for two hours. That is stunning. Yeah, absolutely stunning. Uh, so the, it was it, it was bizarre. It was it, it certainly changed the conversation. Um, yeah, I saw a lot of people like I, uh, people who were who were you know on Twitter watching it, and I was surprised at uh, how. So you, you were talking about how his base loved this, but I, I, I was surprised at how pretty consistent the kind of, you know, what the hell is this response was amongst, obviously, yeah. you know, liberals that I follow, but I follow a lot of conservatives on Twitter too. And their response was largely, you know, that may be sort of, you know, the kind of conservative elite versus the conservative everyman, but I, they all seemed sort of puzzled by it too. Like mm -hmm. what is happening? I was should we be concerned? I was texting both of you guys like, are you watching this? This yeah. is crazy. <laughs> no, realistically, I, as, as much as I'm trying to provide a contrarian point on this, yeah, it was fucking bonkers. <laughs> I, and I, I, I just don't care. I don't care about CPAC or political action yeah. committees in general. Like, I don't need to hear about you or try to placate you. So I don't want to have the president trying to placate you and, and just spewing this shit, regardless of what their political leanings are. It just needs to stop. That's so. a good, good transition to beer. <laughs> I, I don't want to transition yet. Yeah, I okay. Just have to stop. <laughs> <laughs> it's transition. Um, I, I wonder, I, I just as you were talking about this, I was thinking uh, this speech in any other presidency would have been like a massive newsworthy news story. Right. And and it, it almost seems like what is happening is that we have a because the president operates differently, but the media is still operating on the old you know standard of what is, you know, that's crazy. A president who does that should be on the news. And that's why we end up with an end result in which every speech that Trump makes, we're constantly seeing it, right? It's always in the news. And it's because the media thinks, well, this is big and it's just normal. It's just every day, right? Mm -hmm. There's nothing different. Yeah. It's just Trump. Yeah. But there is the whole the deeper question of, is this normal behavior? Does this suggest that there might be something deeply wrong with our president? So that makes that might make it news as well. No, I think this is pretty baseline for him. Like you said, had yeah. it been any other president, I would assume that the media would think that he had a stroke or something yeah. like that. This would quickly lead to impeachment yeah. or something. Yeah. I meant to say at the beginning, I like the voices he was doing. Oh, his voices <laughs> yes. are great. Yes. His little southern accent. And the visuals, too. He, like, yeah, it was, oh. Hugging it the was flag. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, the hugging the flag was weird. <laughs> He's got to stop doing that. He I don't loves like America. It. But it's this faux patriotism. I don't like it, Nick. He's got to oh, stop man. it. I hugged yeah. my flag after I saw that. It made me feel very patriotic. <laughs> All right, Phil, what are you drinking? So I um I am out of my <laughs> I need to make a run uh, free plug here I need to make a run down to Brutopia in Keene, New Hampshire and get some some good beer um I'm I've run out of all my high quality stuff so I grabbed a Sam Adams Bavarian Lager out of my fridge um not that Sam Adams is is not high quality Sam Adams is uh you know it was like one of the original uh you know whatever they're called it wasn't a microbrew but whatever um so uh Bavarian Lager it's fine. <laughs> it was not, it didn't blow me away. It's not like a fantastic beer, but it was fine. Like it wasn't, it was by no means, was it bad? It was, you know, I'll probably drink another one here in a second. Um, I won't, when I'm next at the store, I won't be drawn to it again. Yeah. Nick, what are we having? We are having a uh, craft. <laughs> Dit. Craft. Dit. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't have space for the E. Craft. Comma D. Um, 
uh, American IPA uh, from Tribes out of uh, Mokina, Illinois. Um, you knew where Mokina was. I, did, I hadn't heard of that. Yeah. 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 It's, you know, all the little yeah. shit towns in Illinois. Um, yeah, it was... Uh, I, I tend to... I really enjoyed the the American IPAs lately. Mm-hmm. They, they tend to be different um, than a standard IPA. Um, this one was okay. It, it felt more standard to me than anything. It had it had a real bite to yes. it. Um, not overly hoppy, but it just I don't know. It's it sticks with you for a little while. Mm, excuse me. Yeah. Um, very hoppy. Um, fairly. Uh, yeah, it's not really cloudy or anything. It, it's 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 pretty standard. <laughs> that, I, my thought too is it was okay. It wasn't great. Not terrible. They say it's big hop character. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was as hoppy as some of the other ones we've had. No, yeah. no, no, no. But. Just, just okay. But yeah. Yeah. Was, okay. yeah. Sorry, Mokina. Yeah. You're not a little shit town. We love all towns equally here. I do like the can. It's Otherwise, all black, we're going to take right? away funding from the towns. Yeah. It's a nice can. It is a nice yeah. can. I'll give them that. Presentation A+. Plus. A for effort. All right. Speed round. <laughs> so, that was a that was a really good review. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, if you like those reviews that we do, uh, check out uh, Barstool Politics on Untapped. You can download that on iOS or Android. Um, so we'll have all of our beer reviews on there. All right. So we are going to start off in North Korea. The much touted second summit between President Donald Trump and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un ended with a big thud as both leaders unceremoniously walked away from the negotiating table. This is a pretty anticlimactic ending for two leaders who love a good show. Uh, normally, major summits like this one take place only after negotiations are, are concluded, but both these two guys decided to come to Vietnam to talk without plans in place. Phil, you summer in North Korea. What should we take away from this sort of <laughs> nothing story? <laughs> I, you know, I'm not real sure. I'm, I'm kind of interested to hear what, what you guys think. Yeah. I, I, I'm not... There's a lot of sort of conclusions you could draw from this. You, I could be sort of reassured that Trump was willing to walk away from a bad deal. Um, on another, on the other hand, I could be, you know, from what I've read about it, it I'm almost a little surprised that they walked away from the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, I, I'm not, I, I can't really figure out what conclusion to draw. Was this like, you know, Trump showing strength? Was it him just being? disinterested right he doesn't like international travel he's maybe getting bored with north korea was this you know poor decision making was it was it bolton i'm not real yeah. sure what to make of it what, what are your thoughts on it i i think we need to learn more right I, i'm curious to see once those inner stories come out about what was going on and what really motivated trump to walk away because this is very un-trump like mm-hmm. because you're right and this didn't get a ton of press the north koreans were offering something reasonable they were going to, uh, in exchange for lifting of the the economic sanctions since 2016, yeah, so the I most believe, ones. the most recent ones, nothing else, they right. would dismantle their primary nuclear reactor. Yeah. I think that was yep. the deal, yeah. supposedly. Yep. So, which is a significant development. It's a big deal. And, and you would think Trump would say, like, that's newsworthy, that's a big story, that changes the conversation about Cohen and the other stuff. And so I'm a little shocked that he walked away. And I think North Korea was a little surprised as well. Yeah. Because we've seen since then, now North Korea is developing or is is, is reconstructing some of these uh, missile sites, uh, which is a song that we've heard before, right? So the, they may be saying, okay, this didn't work out well. Those sanctions, Nick, from 2016, those are the, the most biting ones right. that they want off. 
So, I mean, the other part of it that is is that when you when you contrast it to some of the other news that was coming out of the North Korea summit, like the fact that Donald Trump was saying that you know he takes Kim Jong Un's word about the North Korean regime not being involved in Otto Warmbier's death or whatever, right? Yeah. The, the other stories don't indicate that Trump is necessarily turned or is bitter on North Korea, right? He mm-hmm. continues to talk about North Korea like he believes them, like he, you know, has sort of faith in the in the in who they are or in the regime. So to, when you when you put that, you know, if he had walked away and also the rhetoric of he's a bad person, if he had started shifting back to that early presidency rhetoric, it would maybe make a little more sense, but it, to to not see him really kind of pushing back or even openly talking about it, like what I would have expected is if he walks away, he's going to play that up as he's strong and he turned down this deal. And he hasn't even really done that. It almost just seems like he was bored with it or right. he was uninterested or distracted. I, I, I don't I don't know what to make of or Pompeo mm-hmm. or Bolton or somebody else got in his ear. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily disinterest. I think the two most likely scenarios are that it was Bolton in his ear, um, which seems, in in my opinion, the more likely scenario. The other scenario is, I think the Cohen thing really, really got to him. Um, it was, as much as it was political theater, he does not do well with political theater. Um, and the timing was, was perfect on the Democrats' part. Um, this one really, really bugged me if... Um, if the deal that we're learning about was actually true, that's a major concession that they were about to make in exchange for simply a little bit of economic stability and the start of a process of bringing them into uh, the the you know globalized world order. Um, I I I cannot again if that's the reason I cannot fathom why they walked away from the table. Maybe is it possible they sensed they have North Korea on the ropes? And while this is a, it's 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 an it was an important development on their side. If you keep pushing them, maybe you feel like you can get more. I mean, mm, I, I normally the art don't, of the deal. I right, get you. I, I normally don't think the Trump administration thinks that way, but they may feel that they are holding the cards now. The, the sanctions are just devastating North Korea at this That's point. That's a good point. Uh, mm-hmm. And they are they've they've put all of their money into this nuclear process. Uh, you know, the, I wonder whether Kim Jong Un is worrying about his own stability. Sure. And so maybe maybe it's possible Bolton or Pompeo are saying like you can get a historic agreement if you just push a little bit more. Yeah. Cool. Go ahead, Phil. So I I guess I wonder what else are they go so in a, in terms of a historic agreement. In my mind, a historic agreement would involve, in some way, essentially North Korean denuclearization, which I, I just can't, under any circumstance, imagine that. No. And so I, I, I it seems like if you have an okay deal, I, I don't know. Is it is it smart to say, well, we're going to walk away from an okay deal because we think we can really screw you over and getting get a better deal? I, I don't think the goal is denuclearization at this point mm-hmm. because I don't think they're going to do that. But they still haven't had a total accounting of all their facilities. I mean, they were still lying. The, the United States revealed certain sites that North Korea is like, oh, you 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 know about that one? Yeah. Oh, okay. So <laughs> so maybe you, there. I think there is still more middle ground where you can say like, it's not just this one site. We want this and this and that. Um, who knows? I, I think history will tell us once we get more details, because on its face, it really was bizarre that there wasn't he didn't take the deal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, I guess it depends on the order that things came in. If that was their thing, that they just wanted those sanctions lifted, I, that that could be that could be a significant, you know, they're they're yeah. showing their hand at that point. I, I mean, you could 
like you said, it, you could bring in nuclear inspectors. You could ask for pullbacks from South Korea. You could ask for a, a greater accounting of denuclearization, even if it's not total. Um, I, I don't know. We'll see. I, I mean, the response and, you know, attempting to, to rebuild one of their launch pads, which realistically isn't specifically focused on ICBMs. It's more of a, a space uh, space launch uh, vehicle assembly. Um some of the technology is is compatible but that seemed like um i guess kind of a, a more desperate yeah, and and it felt that way yeah yeah so maybe they're right it's it, it's a curious development and again think about the first summit trump got basically nothing but they still signed an agreement that's what he wanted he mm-hmm. wanted this this signing ceremony where they all sit around a table and he didn't take that this time mm-hmm. it's it's a, it's a big question though mm-hmm. All right, let's jump back to the American political system and the Democrats launching some, launching some major investigations. So the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee demanded a whole bunch of documents from the executive branch and broader Trump world on Monday. This was a significant escalation of the investigations by the newly empowered Democrats in the House into possible obstruction of justice, corruption, and abuse of power by President Trump and his administration. These new requests from the Judiciary Committee pose arguably the biggest threat to Trump in that they take aim at the heart of his norm-bending presidency and could conceivably form the basis of a future impe- impeachment proceeding. Phil, this is this. I think this is a pretty big deal. Is this a good move by the Democrats? Um, so I, I think this is incredibly significant. I think also because, you know, we've talked so much about Russia. I think the Mueller report in Russia is important. But I think um, Trump has a real vulnerability and weakness when it comes particularly to financial and corruption stuff. And so I think this could be um, uh, a really significant, uh, uh, significantly damaging, you know, line of, of investigation. So I'm going to say to your question about is this a good move by the Democrats? That that's the wrong question, right? Mm. It reveals something about how we've started thinking about politics. Don't question the question. Um, that was rude. That <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if it's I, I don't know if it's the right move or not. But that's again the the if you step back from it, it's the right thing to do, right? It's what Congress is supposed to do. It's what judiciary and oversight, these committees are supposed to do. Whether they are accurate or not, whether they are true or not, there have been significant stories and investigations into the Trump administration that reveal possible wrongdoing, possible corruption. Um, there have been, it's not even possible, right? The Mueller, like, there's lots, there have been lots of indictments. Um, and, and in those situations, Congress is supposed to investigate. This is the whole idea of balance of powers and Congress has, you know, investigatory powers. And so um, whether anything comes of it or not, this is what Congress should be doing. And I, and I, it, it, I realize that this is the world we live in and that the questions we have to ask are, is this a good move by the Democrats? But I'm, I'm a little sad mm-hmm. that that's the question that we ask because it seems sort of like a, you know, a, this is just Oversight. how government functions, right? It's just, it's how it should have been happening for the last, you know, however many years and it, and it just hasn't. So yeah, I'm sad too. They don't make good moves. So it really was the wrong <laughs> question to ask. My understanding is that most of these documents have been requested by other investigations at this point. Mm-hmm. Correct. That I don't know. Like you're saying, like Mueller and Southern District, that they've right yeah. have requested these same documents from these same individuals at some point previously. So my question is, why are we being redundant about this information? Well, it's and they haven't. They, they yeah. obviously haven't given the information over yet. Why would they? Why are they going to do it now? 
That's a really great question. I think there's a there's a realization there might be a realization among Democrats that the Mueller investigation, even the Southern District of New York, isn't going to save the day, right? That the both of them, especially the Mueller investigation, Mueller is very narrowly focused on Russia. He may not have a big report. It might be a very small thing. It may not even get released publicly. And it strikes me the Democrats maybe have said it's it's now our time to look at stuff that doesn't involve Russia. And the reality is that you hear people talk about the Trump administration as a criminal enterprise. And we don't know if that's true or not, but there certainly is enough evidence to suggest that the guy doesn't always follow the rules. So this could be, you know, a fruitful look and maybe there's nothing there. But, um, yeah, I'm very hesitant to have the Democrats overplay their hand on this. But this feels like there's probably there's some stuff there. Mm -hmm. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't know. I, I mean, realistically, the question that you asked at the beginning, I, I think, is is a fair question to mm-hmm. ask uh, from a purely strategic perspective. I'm not sure what this does for the perception of the Democrats this early in their tenure in the House. I I, I don't know. I, I would I would have put all not all, but most of my eggs in, in the Mueller basket at this point, it seems from most indications that we're getting close to the end at this point. Um, I, 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 I don't necessarily see the um, political advantage to doing this at, at this juncture, mm-hmm. I guess. And I understand it is their purview to do this, and it's really realistically their responsibility, but the wheels are already in motion at this point. I, I don't know what else you can necessarily do. I also wonder what the conversation in D.C. is these days, right? I mean, it... Trump's There's a lot there. of drinking. <laughs> right. Trump's well, been there long things. enough where stories are starting to bubble up that may not be making into the news. And and I I I I'm thinking a lot about Don Jr. Don Jr. was signing these all these checks to to Cohen. Ivanka Trump Trump was reviewing Cohen's uh, testimony in front of Congress. I mean, there there is some potential illegality that spreads beyond Trump. Mm-hmm. It it feels he's Trump has surrounded himself with criminals. I mean, who have legitimately are going to jail. Sure. Uh, I'm not opposed so, to the Congress taking a look. I, I think I, so I don't, maybe I'll um, look back on this as naive, but I think this is the right move by Democrats. I think they were elected with, for, I mean, for lots of reasons, right? There are policy reasons, but one of the big, you know, waves was opposition to Trump and what he has sort of stood for and what he's done. And, and, and I think that they, I, I mean, we are on such a, I mean, in some ways it's this ridiculously long election cycle, but in other ways it's, it's short. We're already in the lead up to the next election. And I, I'm not saying that they should be out, you know, impeaching the, you know, the president next week, but I think uh, launching investigations, fact finding, getting stuff out there, starting to talk about what Trump has. I mean, they have the power to start to expose some of this stuff in a more public way. I think that's what voters wanted them to do. Not obviously not all voters, but Democratic voters. I think that's what they wanted to see happen. Um, I think it's part of why people oftentimes, even if you take it out of the context of this presidency, it's not unusual for the opposition party to win control of Congress when a president is in power because people want a check on the on the executive. Um, and so I, I think, yeah, I mean, in general, in that it is responsive to the voters, to their base, I think in in the larger sense of leading up to the next election and starting to frame that conversation about who Donald Trump is and why 
uh, he needs to be, you know, replaced and why Democrats might be better. I, I think, yeah, I think it's it's not a bad decision. I think it's probably the, the right move. It, it, that's just from the purely cynical side about, mm-hmm. you know, electoral politics on mm-hmm. the, you know, what's what should they do? What's the government's role? Then absolutely it's the right decision. They should be investigating. Well, and there, it's not as if they're, I mean, people say they should be working on legislation, but the re, I mean, then they should be, but nothing's going to get passed. I mean, the, you know, that's the sad state of our affairs where the Senate isn't going to pass anything that the House is going to pass. I mean, so you, you might as well investigate some stuff. You might as well do something. Right. That's where we are at this point? I, yes. And, uh, but there, I, I, understand, I get does it. both. It's not one or the other. An investigation does not mean that they're not legislating. You're right. Yeah. No, but that, I mean, I think that shows that at this point, that's not their primary concern. If we're under the impression that nothing is going to get done legisla- legislatively, why would they think any different at this point? Why wouldn't they put all of their effort or the majority of their effort into this, into investigations mm-hmm. at this point? I, I, I don't know. That doesn't that doesn't sit well with me. I will give Democrats credit that they are being careful about passing legislation that they know is not going to be approved. Right. I mean, they're they're trying to balance things, saying, OK, we're going to pass this. We're going to do this investigation. They've done multiple different types of hearings. So they they are. Uh, they are uh, sensitive to the critique that they are turning this into like a Benghazi investigation. I, I think the key is how they talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. If it's not talked about in, in terms of like, if the focus is on this is our job as Congress and it's about, you know, oversight and that's where you can get, and they have in response to the the wall, um, the emergency declaration, right. they've actually gotten Republicans to side with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you talk about it in terms of controlling executive power and oversight, then it's 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 easier to actually get people on board with that than uh, this purely just partisan. Um, and, and I think so far, the Democrats have been pretty good about talking about it that way. Mm-hmm. They'll screw it up. But yes, but so far, so good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's let's go international in a major story that's not getting much attention in the United States. Tensions are bubbling over between India and Pakistan. What? Both, Yes, I know. <laughs> Both countries have launched airstrikes over the line of control, the de facto border that separates the two countries in the disputed Kashmir territory. This is the first such incursion since 1971, and that's why this is a big deal. An Indian jet was shot down uh, in the dogfight, and its pilot held in Pakistan custody for several days before Pakistan released him back to New Delhi on Friday. Uh, Some are hoping this is a sign that both sides are looking for ways to de-escalate tensions. Just to remind our listeners, both of these countries are nuclear powers and have a long history of conflict. There is a general consensus that the threat of war, even nuclear war, between India and Pakistan, the Indian-Pakistan border, is one of the most dangerous threats in the current international system. Phil, while this isn't getting a lot of attention in the U.S., this is a really, really big deal. And, And we should, I mean, I think there's Syria... India, Pakistan. Those are those are the two big ones. So, what's your what's your read of this? Yeah, I mean, we should be paying more attention to this, right? This is, I, I, I think that's where it's it's a little surprising that it's not in the news. But we, as Americans, don't particularly we're not particularly interested in things that don't involve the U.S. directly. But um, this is I, my uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first direct confrontation between two nuclear powers ever right and part of the reason yes yeah part because of the, the reason, last one was pre-nuclear yeah right mm-hmm. pre, yeah and, and part of the reason why pakistan and india have not part of the the reason why they have both developed nuclear power is in nuclear weapons is in response to each other so mm-hmm. they've developed nuclear weapons essentially 
to you know to deter each other and now for the first time since that development they are directly fighting each other and, and for the first time again in human history that two nuclear powers have directly um fought each other um that should be concerning right when you look at like the doomsday clock people talk about how close we are to nuclear annihilation the thing that pushed us really close was that you know in recent years has been pakistan's testing of nuclear weapons and um it's a big deal and especially when you look at uh india the leadership of india has is the sort of has taken on this nationalist tone this sort of anti-pakistan like you know hindi hindu nationalism um and they have elections coming up right there's just a lot of factors at play here that mm -hmm. that should make us nervous right if we're talking about north korea concerned because of nuclear weapons i'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned about north korea but we should be just as concerned yep. about mm -hmm. india pakistan yeah I, I, realistically if i was in the administration this would be the at, at least from my perspective the thing where you try and make a, a, a legacy point out of it if you can de-escalate the pakistan india situation that's a huge deal between two nuclear powers that realistically are constantly at each other's throats and it i, I think there's enough of a um, a, a mindset of, of detente and, and stability between the two where you can actually make progress uh, and there's there's an ability to negotiate and governments that are willing to listen to the other side, at least elements within the governments that are willing to listen. Um, yeah, this is extremely concerning. Um, I, I don't know, man. Like I, I, I'm of the mindset that nuclear war in almost any situation is very very unlikely even in this situation this is probably the closest that we'll get um and i would hope in our lifetimes but um i, I don't know like it's yeah. it, it it came out of nowhere and i'm hoping it dies just as quickly but something needs to happen on a on a longer term scale to prevent this from happening again i agree so it makes me think of so phil to think about ir international relations literature john mearsheimer has he's a big ir scholar and he's argued that nuclear weapons force good behavior on states that don't always behave the right way and mm -hmm. my hope here is that you have states that have india and pakistan have a history of going back and forth but now this might be like you said the first time that two nuclear powered states are suddenly engaging and they might say like whoa this could get out of hand and maybe that reality causes some restraint that might otherwise yep. not be there and mm -hmm. you hope that's the case one other thing i'll add real quickly just like in the united states we talk about facebook and misinformation the same thing is happening in india and pakistan yeah. where they, they're complaining that all of the news that's being spread in both countries over social media is incredibly inaccurate, very dangerous, very nationalistic, and they're saying this complicates complicates the decision making for policymakers who are trying to be reasonable when you've got unreasonable media and social media coverage. So this is you've got these major forces pushing back and forth. Mm -hmm. It's a great case. I, I mean, beyond, as long as we all live. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah it's neither right. here nor there. <laughs> and that doesn't even include the fact that China, another nuclear power, is right there in right. the middle of, I mean, yeah. right there as well. So, mm -hmm. yeah. They're not going to put up with that shit either. No. Um, beyond that, I, I mean, the, I, I think from a, again, from a governmental perspective, there's, there's room for negotiation. But especially in, when you, when you're talking about Pakistan, there's a, a significant threat of, that nuclear technology or material just kind of disappearing and going elsewhere, which I, I personally think is a, a significantly greater threat than North Korea at this point, or just about any other threat in that region. Um, 
it's something that the international community doesn't seem they they've just stopped caring about it which i i don't understand and i think there needs to be a significant i'm gonna stop saying significant um it, yeah there just needs to be more attention this uh, is put a significant on point you're making significant <laughs> and the reason I, we talk a lot about north korea as a dangerous regime we talk about syria as a dangerous regime pakistan is is a complicated regime where there is not clear control so the military has a big say there's the political establishment there there is tacit support for a lot of terrorist organizations mm -hmm. pakistan is thinking about our india as an enemy on one side thinking about afghanistan as a problem on the other side so there is real strategic interest in pakistan supporting these insurgent terrorist groups and yet they also have nuclear weapons Th this should terrify us that that a state that complicated is in possession of nuclear weapons and to your earlier point nick i wonder whether should the united states take the lead here if they don't i imagine china will yes and that speaks to who's really the global hegemon at this point mm -hmm. if if china takes the lead on this i say preemptive strike and let's just be done with it <laughs> sorry guys oh oh that, that was a good topic i like mm -hmm. that one it was. all right this is another good one so on monday the New Yorker's Jane Mayer, who's just a wonderful journalist, published a fascinating story, uh, the Fox News White House, a deeply reported story alleging that the channel has killed a story about Stormy Daniels before the 2016 presidential election, that Fox News killed the story, and that President Trump tried to spike an AT&T Time Warner merger, apparently because he wasn't happy with the news coverage of his presidency by CNN, which is now owned by AT&T. The story raises the question of whether Fox News has drifted into a propaganda station for the president. Trump regularly tweets direct quotes from the show on Fox News and even did so on Monday, the evening following the release of the story. And while there's always been a variety of bias in the media, it's fair to say that the relationship between Donald Trump and Fox News is different from anything the United States has seen before. Phil, this piece by Jane Merritt makes a powerful case that for the first time in U.S. history, we've got a form of state TV. What's your reaction to this article? I mean, this it was a long piece, but it was really, really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it, it is. So, I mean, I, I think there's uh, there's some confusion as we talk about this because there are, there are different channels that have different perspectives, right? So MSNBC is left of center, right? They are, they are liberal. They have a liberal take on things. I think that CNN, like I have, I have my doubts and concerns about CNN, but there, it's not necessarily related to bias. Like I, I think, think they're, they're, they're lousy. Just <laughs> aiming more, right? They're just—it's more about entertainment than about news, oftentimes for them. Um, but Fox is is of a different—it's it's a different creature altogether in that it is—it's um, it, not just taking a, a sort of conservative take on it. That it it is in fact kind of creating the news in a way. So the, the, the part of the article that I thought was fascinating was um, the journalist or the reporter who came up with this story about Trump paying off Stormy Daniels um, was told that Mr. Murdoch, the head of Fox, wants Trump to win. And that was essentially the reason why they weren't going. So they're, they're not even being like, you know, it's not, uh, you know, it's not that, uh, it's not that it's just a take, right? There's, there's like a, there, this goes back to the Bush presidency as well, but it seems to have gone to a, a whole new level, particularly in the last since Roger Ailes um, was out. There's there's really just it, it has become 
I, I, I do think it's a become essentially a form of, of propaganda. I know that seems over the top. I, I don't, I can't quite exactly put my finger on how to say, how to like get to the difference between it and, and um, an MSNBC. I'm not saying that MSNBC is good uh, necessarily, but Fox is like a different type of beast. Let's I mean, think about this. So Sean Hannity apparently calls the president every night after a show. They have conversations. They've referred to Sean Hannity as the, you know, the guy who's really running the White House. He is the chief of staff. Bill Shine, who was a former VP, I think VP at, at Fox News, is now in charge of, what is his role? He's the media guy, right? I mean, there are these guys that are going back and forth. Um, I, I think it's it's certainly the influence on the presidency is different than, than MSNBC had on, on Obama. I, I think maybe I, 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 know I want to give you a Go chance ahead. to talk, but I, I think that in some ways the, the difference as I see it is that I, I imagine that MSNBC might like play up certain stories because they think it would appeal to their base, right? So some stories would, would be more attractive to a liberal you know, viewership than others. What Fox is doing is choosing which stories to run based on their, it, it's not just that, hey, our audience might like this. It's that this, this story would be damaging to our political interests, and so we're going to squash that. Or mm -hmm. this story will be good for our political goals, and so we're going to play it up or whatever. And so it seems like a, there's a slightly different mindset, but it's an important mindset. And it's, it's an linked difference. specifically to Trump, not even to Republicans. I think that's an important right. distinction there. Sorry, Nick, go ahead. No, no, no. You, yeah. you, I, 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 I understand the, the perspective. I would say that um, I, I don't think it's propaganda in the sense, like, like you said, Phil, it's not state TV. It's, it's nowhere near that point. I think that um, they, they know which buttons to push. As much as you'll, you'll say that it's a conservative-leaning network and they know how to appeal to Republicans, I think they know how to, to, to directly appeal to the president. Um, and he is he's susceptible to that. He's different in that sense where it's it's almost like they're speaking directly to him. And I, I think that's disconcerting um, in the sense of it being, you know, fundamentally, uh, you know, kind of the shadow government that, that's running things. I don't I don't really believe that. And in terms of other networks and their political leanings. CNN gave Hillary Clinton a, bun a bunch of, of questions before a presidential uh, um, sure. um, why can't I think a, a debate. Um, I think that it, the the premise is the same. I think that depending on your political leanings and, and who is in office at the time you are influenced by what's going to be better for your viewership which is in turn probably going to be better for the administration that's in power if they're aligned with your political views because there were plenty of stories that were tweaked or kind of shoved under the rug or pushed to the side in previous administrations that maybe not as obvious as Fox does it but you're never going to convince me that CNN or especially MSNBC didn't push things to the side during the previous administration that, 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 I think that's that's probably true but I do think it's different. I don't. I don't imagine Obama watched MSNBC late at night. I don't think George W. Bush was watching a ton of Fox News. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump gets up in the morning and watches Fox and Friends. Not only does he watch it, he's calling into the show. They're you know they're they're 
throwing things out there. He's tweeting them. There's a symbiotic relationship. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, Trump is watching Hannity. He's Tebowing everything, right, to bring it all back to Tebow. His whole day, there's this constant back and forth between those two, which is, I think, different. But that's a failure of the individual at that point because yes. all this yes. is, is out there. It's yes. been out there, this 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 system that's been created around around yeah. the media at this point is there. So it's the susceptibility of the individual more than it is the, I, I guess... It's more I'm unique much... to Trump than it is to, I think, the conservative cause, right. the Republican cause. It's it, it's unique mm-hmm. that way. But Fox has changed along with it as well. So it's not just a one... Mm-hmm. It's not that Fox is just taking advantage of the access to Trump, right? Hannity is showing up at Trump rallies on spa- stage talking about the president. That's, like, that's that's different. <laughs> like, that's like a different level of connection i mean in, in some ways i just wish everyone would just be open about it like just like give give fox news to the republican party and call it republican tv right and oh, let there be, be a democratic tv a democratic party tv and they can both have their own channels but neither you know then we're not pretending that it's news right? sure, it's right. not news what fox is doing is not news but none of it is news at this point then realistically again it could go either way and going beyond this point that doesn't mean that this isn't going to happen from the opposite end of the spectrum. So it's more a problem with the media and the way that it's organized and its ability to influence things than it is any anything is it, else. Is I, it a problem with the media or is it a problem with, with Well, Fox people are News. stupid, right. so well, that well, doesn't well, help. Given, right? Mm-hmm. But thinking about, like, Fox News used to have this real clear divide between the news side and the opinion journalism. Right. That line seems to have been blurred now. Uh, and there are still a handful of, of reporters at Fox News who will push back on the president, but that is, it's waning, and that, that concerns me. Um, mm. There are very few who are, you know, Brett Baer will ask, there's, there's a handful that will ask tuss, tough questions, but Lou Dobbs? Lou, I mean, that guy. Oh, oh but he's like Grandpa. I know, but that's the problem. <laughs> We've got, gra- like, the crazy grandpa asking the crazy grandpa president questions. Yeah. That's not that's not helpful. I, I don't know. I don't, I'm of the mindset that none of the major news outlets at this point are actual news. I think everything is is editorialized and not just direct facts of what's going on. PBS is rock solid, so, Nick. So, rock solid. <laughs> I'm an NPR guy. <laughs> So I I want like I, let's, I want to find like a middle ground be- between us <laughs> because I think I think the the ele- like the what you're saying is true like there is an element of that level of like bias and everything to it but it's also a scale right like sure. there might be a perspective to I don't know you know CBS nightly news but it's it is like in terms of the scale like the how strong is the perspective it's at one end of the scale whereas fox news is like way at the other end so Mm -hmm. uh, like the idea that news might that news um channels have a a bias or a perspective i i think we can acknowledge i think we can say that that's true but we also have to acknowledge that they're of of different levels right Mm -hmm. that like fox news I just don't want to create like a false equivalency because what Fox's news is doing is not the same as what, you know, CBS is doing, right? There might be a, a tent to CBS, but it's it's of a it's a whole different creature, right? It, it might be of the same type or the same kind, but not of the same extent, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. That, that mm-hmm. makes sense. That's a good point, Phil. <laughs> All right, let's move on <laughs> to final time. I like that one. <laughs> All right, so 
we've got Sebastian Gorka news. Oh, I yeah. love Gorka news. To remind our listeners, Sebastian Gorka is a former foreign policy advisor on national security uh, for Donald Trump. He's also widely regarded by the entire bipartisan foreign policy community as an obnoxious nut. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, just just the worst. Well, on Thursday, he gave a speech at CPAC. Um, and accused American socialists like uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of, quote, trying to take away your hamburgers, as dictator Joseph Stalin once dreamed of. Nick, we've got to go to the tape on this. This is, this, this is even better than our earlier tape. <laughs> Here we go. Brilliant. They want to rebuild your home. They want to take away your hamburgers. This is what Stalin dreamt about but never achieved. You are on the front lines of the war against communism coming back to America under the guise of democratic socialism. <laughs> That's my favorite. Democratic socialism. Go, girl. So, ironically, Stalin actually launched the mass production of meat patties after he sent an aide to the United States to study the American economy, Nick. Mm, Stalin loved burgers. So, while entertaining, the far more fascinating element of all this is that Gorka wasn't the only one to make this hamburger claim. It appears that the Republicans are preparing to go all in on the socialist critique of Democratic candidates, starting with hamburgers. Phil, you love a good hamburger. This, I, I love this story. I'm curious, what's your reaction to all this? I, I don't understand. <laughs> That's my reaction. What? Yes. I don't understand. What does what do hamburgers have to do with anything? Okay, all right. Well, let me walk you. We'll walk everybody through this. Is it, so, is it having to do with like agriculture and the environment? It's the new green deal. Well, the shit. new green deal. So the new green deal. So there's a couple things here. One, you know, cows are are a bit problematic, uh, and our meat consumption. The data on our meat consumption is overwhelming, right? You know, it's it's a cow and chicken holocaust. <laughs> that's right. Mm -hmm. so, so the amount of resources that go into one hamburger are mind-boggling in terms of the water resources, the energy resources. It, it's 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 really stupid, right? How and much... they contribute from their farts. Yes, exactly. So 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 real CO2. environmentalist economists are thinking about ways that that the globe as a whole needs to reduce meat consumption because of this. And AOC throws this out there, and Gorka grabs it and says, "This is socialism. Uh, they're going to steal your hamburgers, Nick." I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is the thing. It's it's a dumb it's a dumb fucking statement. Let's just get that out yeah. there and and be done with it. it. The substance, all right. The lack of substance of the new Green Deal should be the primary talking point of this. I completely agree. We need to restructure uh, agriculture and, and farming and our infrastructure to uh, uh, better deal with climate change and, and population growth and all of that. Um, but there's there's nothing to this. You just say that all all of this is bad. Everything that we're doing now is bad, and you don't provide a solution to it. So yeah, there's going to be some asshole like this who's going to grab onto it and say you're a socialist because all you think is that what we're doing now is bad, and we need to completely do away with it without any sort of substance behind it. Well, and, and the interesting thing to me about all this is that you're linking the environmental movement. And, you know, green technology and all of that, the new Green Deal mm -hmm. with socialism, where the reality is that they are some they're distinct movements, while they may overlap in terms of political opinions. 
Um, it's different. You can say I'm an environmentalist, and that doesn't make you a socialist. But the Republicans, or I should say the, the conservatives, Gorka and others, Meadows and uh, Don, uh, Don Trump Jr. was talking about how he, he loves cows and thinks they're delicious, right? I mean, this is clearly going to be a talking point to push back to say, if you want hamburgers, if you want to use energy, if you hate communism, vote Republican. Right. It's extraordinarily effective. Yeah, I think it will be. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, I it, it bothers me, Nick, but it's it's, it's going to be effective. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Phil, are you still worried about your hamburgers? <laughs> I love a good hamburger, Bill. Oh, man, I'm going to get one. Oh. It's – I'm sorry. Go ahead, Phil. No, I mean, I've seen other – I've seen this with, uh, with uh, Ocasio-Cortez in several ways. I've seen people on Twitter and whatnot attacking her for – you know, the other day it was that she got a ride and she rode somewhere in a minivan instead of taking the, you know, the subway or instead of walking. And and so, you know, people are kind of picking out the, these sort of hypocrisies in the individual actions. Right. If you're you know, how can you how can you do this if whatever? Um, and, you know, there's a there's a difference between sort of individual actions and this. idea. I, I get the critique. Right. That they're going to point out these sort of individual things, which. I, I don't know. Maybe this isn't even related to the hamburger thing, but it's 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 a line that r- Democrats have to be able to walk about how you have to talk about big picture sort of structural changes that are important, right? And and Republicans are really good at honing in on the really specific thing, mm-hmm. right? They're taking your hamburgers, or she's still she says she's for the environment, but she's still driving a car, right? And and it's an effective tool um, that Democrats have to figure out a way to counter if they want to be, you know. I don't know. I shouldn't say that if they want to be successful. I think the environmental movement is, is you know, catching on. Right? I think the Republicans are losing that battle and ultimately sort of will. But um, but they're holding on longer than they could because of these sorts of tactics that they're that they're, yeah. they've gotten good at. Yeah. Well, I mean, we talked about it before we started taping. I, I think that in in the majority of Americans, I think, are are at least partially on board with you know climate change and uh, again a restructuring of our system to to uh, better provide for for citizens and help the environment but when you have something like the green new deal that has zero substance to it and then you kind of integrate these weird social programs and things that again have no no backing to them or the ability to do anything with you deal a blow to something that could potentially be really helpful I, I think it's 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 detrimental when you have that kind of inexperience put out there. As much as you want to do something and I completely understand your perspective, you gotta be you gotta be smart about it because assholes like this are gonna yeah. jump on you in a second. Absolutely. So play the game better, I guess. Well, no, I, two things. I, I would say one, I think for me, it wasn't the New Green Deal that was as problematic, to use Tom's favorite word. Oh, you're gonna do the yeah. you're gonna do have the the trains gonna pick you up right outside. You get rid of your car. I love love love, love a train. <laughs> love a good train ride. As as the rollout of the New Green Deal, right? I mean, AOC just botched that. It was it was miserable. They gave all these talking points to Republicans. So you know how you handle something is almost as important as the substance. The other thing I think about this is the. Democrats are going to have to be better about pushing back against this socialist and communist critique because the reality is Republicans are going to hammer them saying this is Stalin. What Nobody likes communists. Exactly. What Bernie Sanders, what AOC are arguing for is basically a, a, a European social welfare system where the market is still very much prominent. It's, he's not, they're not arguing for Stalin, but 
you know, if, if Democrats can't make that in a cogent way to say that we still believe in the market, we think the market is powerful, we just want to have a social welfare state to help buffer some of the extremes of the market, they're going to lose that argument uh, because Republicans, to Phil's point, are going to be so good at hammering against this. We're detail-oriented people. Yeah. We, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, uh, no, ha- this hamburger thing is going to be big. It's not going away. Oh, man, if she gets rid of my hamburgers, it's going to be a fucking riot. I swear to God. You know, uh, veggie burgers are good, but veggie dogs, you, I can't find no, a good one. No. no, veg. you can find a good no. veggie burger. You can't find a you good veggie You don't want a not dog? dog? No, no. I've, I've, tried, <laughs> I've searched far and wide. In Wisconsin, they have a veggie brat. It's not good either. No. Those weird uh, Beyond Burgers or Impossible Burgers are actually really good. Those ones where they it's like uh, beet things and it's it, like bleeds and things. No, it's pretty Nick, I've good. I've had one of those. It's I, not good yeah, as something no, that had was, feelings and like was running around in a field. I was very disappointed yeah. in, my, in my beet burger. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, we've come full circle. Now. Oh, my God. I, I don't believe in vegetables. <laughs> Fake news. Um... <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, Go, Nick. <laughs> yeah. On that note, if you guys like discussions about what's good meat and what's not good meat um, and various <laughs> other agriculture-related things, um, follow us. Tune in for our other podcast, Meat Talk. <laughs> <laughs> That's on Thursday. So that one drops. Um, follow us on Twitter at Barstool Paul P O L, Facebook at Barstool Politics, uh, the podcast, uh, Spotify. Check us out on there. Uh, we uh, just got put on there in the past day. Um, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, uh, a bunch of other platforms. Uh, share us, like us, review us through there. Beers that we try, you can find on Untapped that you can download on iOS or Android. Uh, look for our rebu- uh, beer reviews on there. Uh, and then we are partnered with Predicted, uh, which is a political prediction market, uh, a stock market uh, for politics where you can buy and sell shares in future political events. Uh, Barstool Politics listeners uh, who use the promo link when open up a new account, opening up a new account, will receive a $20 match on their first deposit. Uh, so if you open up a $20 account, Predicted will match that $20, giving you $40 to use. Uh, just use the promo link, predicted.org slash promo slash Barstool 20 uh, and get some free money and check that out. Anything else, guys? That was good, Nick. Cool. We'll see you guys next week. Cheers. Cheers. They. Hamburgers. Hamburgers.